You are listening to a podcast produced by the New Zealand Centre for Political Research. Follow this and our other podcasts on nzcpr.com. Welcome to our podcast for the 10th of November 2023, presented by Dr Muriel Newman. Voters have had their say and they've said they've had enough of Labour and its woke agenda. While Chris Hipkins is the one who had to front up to the nation on election night, the defeat is very much a rejection of Jacinda Ardern and her brand of radical socialism dressed up as kindness. Instead of building a nation of unity, Ardern and her caucus colleagues used identity politics to divide us into the oppressed versus the oppressors. What New Zealanders now desperately need is unity. It is this that the new coalition government must achieve if it is to become more than a one-term government. It must close the door on the Adern legacy of failure and show New Zealanders that division has no future. Here's Muriel Newman. What is remarkable about Labour's election defeat is how significantly they lost. It was an historic turnaround from 50% support at the 2020 election to just 27% three years later. What caused them to lose so much support? And are there any lessons for the new government? First of all, Labour's defeat was Jacinda Ardern's defeat. While Chris Hipkins was able to make some changes at the margins, by the time he took over as Prime Minister in January, the damage had already been done. In effect, the election was a rejection of the radical woke ideology that Jacinda Ardern had imposed onto the country with complete disregard for the fundamental rights New Zealanders had come to expect from our democracy. From the time she first became Prime Minister in 2017, the former World President of the International Union of Socialist Youth embraced identity politics. Under this Marxist agenda, the struggle for social justice shifts from its traditional focus on the working class to the so-called oppressed groups in society, centred on race, gender and sexuality. New Zealanders were no longer regarded as equal citizens, but were fragmented and divided, categorised according to our differences, including deeply personal characteristics such as the colour of our skin and our sexual preferences. The 2023 census epitomised this change, causing such widespread offence that many thousands of New Zealanders refused to fill in their forms. Some declined because they objected to the ethnicity question, which yet again failed to provide an option for them to state they are a New Zealander. But many more rejected the new gender question, which asked, what is your gender? The simple enough question came with an explanation that was far too complex for many to comprehend. It said, quote, gender refers to a person's social and personal identity as male and female or another gender or genders that may be non-binary. Sex at birth refers to the sex that was recorded at a person's birth, for example on their birth certificate. 
a person's gender and sex at birth may differ. End quote. Many gave up at that point, having come to the view that the census was just more woke nonsense. Unfortunately, the Ardern wokeness has been embraced by the public service. It's reached a point where in many government agencies, employees are required to include gender pronouns whenever they sign their name. As the identity juggernaut rolled on, Kiwis were increasingly labelled as victims or oppressors, the exploited or exploiters, and if you were a white, straight male, you were effectively discarded as irrelevant in Labour's new woke world. New Zealanders saw the ugly side of this in Albert Park back in April, when a surging mob of thousands of howling rainbow rights activists threatened to crush British women's rights campaigner Posey Parker as she attempted to address a gathering of supporters, while the police stood by and did nothing. The violence and anger on display that day will be an enduring reflection of the consequences created by the Ardern-Hipkins Labour government's championing of the politics of identity and division. It served as a reminder of the incident almost 12 months earlier when New Zealanders from all walks of life, concerned about the effects that vaccine mandates were having on careers, families and relationships, converged on Parliament for answers. But instead of meeting with protest leaders and resolving matters, Jacinda Ardern looked down from the balcony of her ninth-floor Beehive office as senior members of her government denigrated those they described as a river of filth. Eventually, police in full riot gear were ordered in on what became one of New Zealand's darkest days. It was a turning point for Jacinda Ardern's administration. Her kindness was exposed as a mask hiding socialism's innate cruelty and malice. Nowhere, however, was the politics of division more visible than through race, with Labour's political agenda aligned to the demands of the tribal elite for control of New Zealand, their language and culture were forced onto the country. Three waters were steamrolled into law with tribal control embedded at its core. An apartheid health system was introduced that ensures anyone claiming Maori ethnicity gains priority treatment over those in greater clinical need. And dangerous criminals now roam our streets, let out of prison to ensure Maori are no longer overrepresented in the incarceration statistics. All of this was mapped out in Labour's Hipurpur blueprint for Maori sovereignty by 2040, an agenda kept secret from the public during the 2020 election campaign, but rolled out at pace after they won majority rule. A fictitious reinterpretation of the Treaty of Waitangi as a 50-50 partnership was used to justify co-governance and tribal rule, and to ensure there was no negative publicity, the media were bought off through Labour's $55 million public interest journalism fund, which requires recipients to promote their partnership fiction. Any attempt to object to the iwi takeover was met with accusations of racism, and there was widespread bullying and intimidation by tribal activists determined to remove any obstacle on their path to power. 
So while Kiwi strongly objected to the dangerous hipuapua agenda that was being forced onto our country with no public mandate whatsoever, most were in no position to fight back. Until, that is, they were in the privacy of the polling booth. And then they changed the government. This week's NZCPR guest commentator is leading left-wing political commentator Chris Trotter. He believes Labour's focus on race led to the loss of their working-class voter base and was a key factor in their electoral defeat. Quote, Neither Ardern nor her successor Chris Hipkins had the intellectual or ideological sophistication to argue either for or against the revolutionary ideas contained in the Hipuapua report. Labour made no case for co-governance because it couldn't. For the previous 40 years, it had put all the treaty stuff into the too-hard basket or the too-scary basket. When the sovereignty hand grenade finally exploded in the second term of the sixth Labour government, the best Labour could manage was to blame the resulting injury to the New Zealand body politic on the racism of the people whose votes it would need to go on governing. End quote. The backlash from Kiwis sick and tired of being vilified and sneered at whenever they spoke their mind is what helped change the government. But it wasn't just over identity politics issues either. In the post-COVID era, with the public even more distrusting of self-acclaimed experts preaching a prophecy of doom, Kiwi patience is running out over the whole woke climate change agenda. While some people remain terrified of the future, as a result of the frightening indoctrination they've been subjected to, and disgracefully that includes schoolchildren, there's a high probability that increasing numbers of New Zealanders, like citizens in other countries, are becoming sceptical. In the US back in March, a Rasmussen survey revealed that three out of five US voters believe the climate change propaganda they're constantly bombarded with is about political power and control not the climate. And in Germany, a similar trend could be seen in April, when a Berlin climate neutrality by 2030 referendum was rejected by 82% of voters. In other words, if New Zealanders were given a choice of whether taxpayer funding should be used on questionable schemes to reduce global emissions, or on improving the country's essential infrastructure to make us more resilient to adverse weather events, it's highly likely most Kiwis would prefer to spend the money on adaptation. Furthermore, given the huge financial stress on families struggling with the rising cost of living, it's surely incumbent on the new government to urgently review Labour's climate models, since by setting the carbon levies too high, They've been forcing Kiwis to pay far more than they should for petrol, food and everything else. The suppression of free speech was another of Jacinda Ardern's woke objectives. She not only proposed an oppressive hate speech regime that would have criminalised anyone criticising groups defined by identity, but under her leadership truth was increasingly suppressed and labelled as misinformation or disinformation. In fact, our former Prime Minister's paranoia was revealed in a speech to the United Nations last year where she described free speech as a weapon of war. Quote, 
The face of war has changed. The weapons of war have changed. They're upon us and require the same level of action and activity that we put into the weapons of old. End quote. She targeted those questioning the climate change extremism that's central to the woke agenda. Quote, How do you tackle climate change if people do not believe it exists? The weapons may be different, but the goals of those who perpetuate them is often the same, to cause chaos and reduce the ability of others to defend themselves. But we have an opportunity here to ensure that these particular weapons of war do not become an established part of warfare, end quote. Given her socialist DNA, was our former Prime Minister planning to criminalise anyone questioning climate scaremongering, which has now become a prime weapon used by the left to retain influence and impose authoritarian control? Is that what she's now championing on the world stage? Jacinda Ardern was the embodiment of New Age socialism. In true Orwellian style, she divided the nation but claimed we were a team of five million. We now know that her woke version of kindness was the same ugly, failed socialism of old that represses freedom and perpetuates failure. Labour's decimation in the polls represents the rejection of woke and everything Jacinda Ardern represents. New Zealanders do not want to be divided by race nor by any other categorisation and nor do they want to be threatened by exaggerated climate predictions to justify authoritarian control. So where does this leave the new government? Without a doubt, the new national-led administration has a big job ahead of it, undoing the damaging changes that Labour introduced and that the public so resoundingly rejected. All laws and regulations that have led to divisions based on identity need to be removed, as must all of the changes introduced under the Hipuapua framework. This is crucial. What New Zealanders now desperately need is a focus on unity and equality. We want to be united by the things we have in common, not divided by our differences. It's this that the new coalition government must achieve if it is to become more than a one-term government. They must close the door on the Ardern legacy of failure and division. That's it for this week. Don't forget to visit www.nzcpr.com if you'd like to register for our free newsletter, take part in our poll or access a treasure chest of valuable information. See you soon. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by NZCPR Media.